0: So, our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, surprise, surprise, chapter 12, and we're verses 9 through 21. Romans 12, beginning at verse 9, down to 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is the time of year where uh, somebody invariably invites me to play golf. The weather's right, and uh, if I can get away from work, I'll sort of... Stuck out for a round of golf, and it's the only round of golf I do in the whole year. Last year I played once, and it was in April. Uh, See, I don't play very often, and I get quite frustrated uh, at my game because of that, and I know some of you play every week, and you still get frustrated at golf. You see, the problem is I start to overthink my swing. I uh, get overwhelmed at remembering knees slightly bent. Left hand needs to be, left arm needs to be straight, right? You can't have too tight of a grip, right? And you can't forget, you got to keep your head down, right? If you don't remember all those things, because this all happens in one fell swoop, you duff the ball, right? You've got to do it all in one motion. And in some ways, that motion is counterintuitive, right? It's a, it's a counterintuitive motion. We're not... We're not designed to do that. Robots do that. We don't, right? If it was commonplace, we'd all be like Tiger Woods or Ernie L's. It doesn't quite feel natural. You have to train yourself to start thinking a different way. And it's easy to forget that you've got to do that all in one motion. I think when we look at this passage, uh, we look at it and we read it, we kind of feel the same thing. It can feel like a series of countercultural motives, behaviors, actions that are impossible to live out. And I want to say, yep, it is impossible. It is impossible, save the grace of God, save God working in us and through us. It is completely counter to the sinful nature. Patient in affliction. Bless those who persecute you. I run a ministry that helps people who are persecuted. I have to be honest with you. There are times when I think we just need to drop handguns down to our people who are being persecuted. That's my flesh speaking. Do not take revenge. I submit to you this morning that the key to this whole passage, the hinge on which this door is moving, is the first part of verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine, or as the NIV says, let love be sincere. It means without hypocrisy. Paul has been building this case of the power of agape love throughout the whole letter. And you've got to understand, when the Roman church was sitting there listening, they were listening to the whole letter, probably all at once. We're just doing little bite-sized chapters. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This actionable love demonstrated on the cross, what an earlier verse says is poured into our hearts, is foundational to our hearts being changed and renewed and for helping us to become disciples of Christ. In case you question the effectiveness or the efficacy of this agape love, Paul hammers this home in Romans chapter eight, and you will remember that from when it was preached. Nothing can separate you from this love. No persecution, no tribulation. Nothing can separate us from this love. There is great efficacy of this love. You see, the problem with my golf game is not that I overthink my movements. It's that I don't love the game. I don't love the game enough to go to the course every day. I don't love the game enough to buy the golf magazines or subscribe to the golf TV channel. I don't get a pro to help me to control my muscle memory, my wrong muscle memory. Okay, let me shift from the physical which and now to the spiritual which in 1st Timothy says we need to train ourselves for godliness. Only physical training is only good for this life, but godliness leads us into the next life. Here's my thesis this morning. Sincere love for Christ leads to a countercultural life. Sincere love for Christ leads to a disciplined life. Sincere love for the Lord will root out hypocrisy in your Christian walk. And the presence of sincere love will align all of the countercultural actions in our life. We must first define love right? We have to define what love is. I just did a a wedding last weekend for a young lady who grew up in our neighborhood. She asked me to marry uh, her and her uh, fiancé, now husband, and uh, so we did some premarital counseling. Uh, In advance of that, they were up in New York. I was down in Atlanta. We used FaceTime. We studied uh, Tim Keller's marriage book, which I wished I'd read 10 years ago. I wish he'd written it 10 years ago, In the book, excuse me, in the book, uh, Keller drives home the point that love is not an emotion. Love is an action. Love acts. It is the actionable love of Christ, he says, that took him to the cross. And so in marriage, we must see that love is to be actionable, not emotional. You see, emotions come and go. But a love grown in the soil of Christ's actionable love on the cross leads to perseverance, discipline. And it cannot, it cannot coexist with hypocrisy. Say that again. Love cannot coexist with hypocrisy. Love is the sum of virtue, and hypocrisy is the epitome of vice, John Murray said. They cannot coexist. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Love of Christ and love for Christ leads to obedience. And it is constantly, it is constantly uprooting the weeds of hypocrisy in our life. I'm not talking about the love that says, I wanna do better, I wanna do better next time, I wanna be a better person. No, listen to what Paul Tripp says. Paul Tripp, Christian author, he says, if you had the power for this kind of self-reformation, The cross of Christ would not have been necessary. The only way I can escape the self focused bondage of my love for me and actually begin to love others is for the forgiving, liberating, empowering, and eternal love to be placed in me. And this is the love, this is the end of it, that's the end of his quote. And this is the love that is poured into our hearts, leading to change leading to countercultural relationships, leading to countercultural reconciliation, leading to countercultural forgiveness. And into my so my sort of second point, sincere love leads to countercultural relationships. So first we defined love and now we see that sincere love leads to countercultural relationships beginning in verse 9 and we'll go all the way to 16. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The word here used, the word abhor, it literally communicates loathing, hatred. It is, it is an, it's not just hatred, it's an intense hatred. We ought to hate sin. We ought to hate evil and like glue, we must bond to what is good. The more we immerse ourselves in God's love for us, the more that we immerse ourselves in the truth of that love, the bright lights of sin will appear to be revolting to us. The, the more we understand this great love that has been poured into us through Christ's loving sacrifice, the more we will see sin as repulsive. And what's so amazing is it is not sin that changes God's love for us, but rather sin alters how we view God. I love this F.B. Mayer quote. He says, Holy Father, I thank you for your forgiving, merciful love. I gratefully realize that my sin cannot alter your love, though it may dim my enjoyment of it. Set me free from the love of sin so that it may not darken the light of your face. This should be a regular prayer on our lips. If we see sin as something that separates us from a loving and caring father, a father who wants to be with us and provide for us lavishly, then we'll start to see that which distances us from that love through a different lens, right? In fact, I used to say this when I would give my testimony. I would say that concerning my rebellious stage at Auburn University, I used to say that the Lord rescued me. And from that, out of that, I now begin to see the sin that I once saw attractive as disgusting. I, I began to see it through a different set of glasses, I used to tell people. What I once found attractive now makes me physically ill. From here, Paul goes on to how we relate as the family of God. In verse 10, he says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is countercultural. The the Greek word here used in this phrase, love one another, is often used to describe the relationship between a parent and child. This, This bond, which is stronger than any other human bond, is used to describe how we ought to live together as the family, as the family of God. It is not enough for us just to respect one another's opinions. It's not enough just to live in mutual respect of one another. No, we live in a way, or we ought to live in a way that is like that of a parent and a child. Emily recently shared an article with me about uh, a nursing uh, child and mother and researchers have discovered what they call a feedback loop where the child's, I'm going to gross you out here, but the child's saliva sends a signal to the mother through the breast and it helps regulate enzymes and antibodies that are designed for that specific child in that specific moment that they may be dealing with something that needs an infection. This bond between the child and the mom is is as close to oneness as you can possibly get on earth. This is to be the mark of the family of God. Christ told us that they, he asked that we would all be one as I and the father are one. This foundational familial relationship should extend to see, to, 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 should extend to how we seek another's welfare interesting. There was an article um, that was written this week, actually, uh, from uh, the Desire, it was on the Desiring God website, and it was written by Rosaria Butterfield. I know some of you have read her book, and I know, I think the church is actually trying to get her to come speak, but she's written another book. Uh, I think it came out this March on hospitality, and this article deals with that, that issue and she says, the be- it's entitled, The Best Weapon is an Open Door. She says, we live in a post-Christian world now. And uh, that means that those who are outside of our covenant community, out of our church community, are not going to react the same way to the gospel, react the same way to Christians, react the same way to church as they used to. And she says, how tempting it is to withdraw How easy it is to let fear rule our hearts as we shelter ourselves and our children from evil. How afraid we are to speak when our words, in spite of good intentions and biblical integrity, are declared hate speech. How ought we to live? She says, your best weapon is an open door. She goes on to say it's your best spiritual weapon is that open door. It's a set table, a fresh pot of coffee and a box of Kleenexes for the tears that spill and they will spill. Being available to your neighbors means cutting back on your entertainment indulgences, building in margin time in your day and budgeting to feed more people than those who just share your last name. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Translation, stop watching Netflix. (laughs) Turn off Fox News. Invite somebody over. Show hospitality. The the early church would have understood this, but we are in such a state now where this is foreign to us. I'll tweet that article out. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you should. All right, uh, verses 14 through 16. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This church sits in one of the wealthiest zip codes in America. I'll never forget, Gene Hall years ago sent me an article from the Wall Street Journal that said that 30327 was the richest two square miles in the country. The richest one square mile was in New York City and the richest five square miles was somewhere in California, I don't remember. A certain snobbery exists in this zip code. Let's be honest, right? There is an enormous cloud of pride hovering over this part of Atlanta. Does that hurt? (laughs) It hurt me when I read it. Cars, houses, jobs, education, where you vacation, where your second home is. They're all seen as status symbols. Symbols that separate us into classes and castes. And Paul here admonishes us to avoid this type of classism. For as Christ displayed humility in taking on human form, he did not have a place to lay his head. You were saved by a homeless Savior. We should not consider ourselves better than others. And I would say and su- submit to you this morning that living counterculturally in this type of environment is supernatural. Only the love of God poured into us can make it possible to live counterculturally here in Buckhead. My third point is this, that sincere love leads to countercultural reconciliation. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, up until this point, you might have thought, well, this passage makes sense. Of course, Christians should live as the family of God, and we should live in light of his redemption and his love, and we should love one another or love our community. But then Paul drops this bomb on us. It's not enough to live in brotherly love with our family. It's not enough to honor those in our community. No, we must avoid retribution toward wicked people. And we must actually do good to our enemies. Our relationship to our enemies should be service, not retaliation. The most common theme I hear among Muslim converts is when they hear of Christ's call for forgiveness, they're overcome When a Muslim reads Christ's words in Matthew 5, calling for the the love of enemies and those who persecute, or when they hear his words on the cross, Father, forgive them. These words are so fantastical to Muslim ears that many come face to face with the Savior. You see, for Islam demands retribution. It demands certain punishments for those who are kafir or unclean or infidel. But Paul here says no. Do good to your enemies. And by doing good, you will heap coals on their heads. And I believe these coals are not judgment coals, but they're designed to heal. Coals that are used of God to shame the wicked to repentance. Coals that are used of God to shame the wicked to repentance. And then there's this verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, our flesh, in our flesh, in our natural state, we want to retaliate. Our flesh wants to see that wicked people get what they deserve. And Romans 13, next chapter, deals a lot with that and how government plays a role in that. They're not off the hook. But for us, for us as individual believers, for us as the individual Christian, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should desire to win our persecutors to him. Our team uh, recently put together a video. They were in Iraq last year, and they, they put this video together of what's happened in the aftermath of ISIS coming in to northern Iraq, taking over. And now they have been basically kicked out of of this part of northern Iraq. And I just want to share this video with you.
1: We are driving uh, through a ghost town. Uh, This street, it doesn't look like there's anybody here. All doors are broken, the houses are rubbed, and there are some leftovers here and there from their furniture. Cracks in the building because of fires inside. The roads are very rough, not clean. There's no order. People are trying to start their life again. It's gonna be hard. But I think they can make it slowly but surely.
2: We're staying here in, uh, at this minute, in the city of Bartallah. It is one of the cities that was freed from ISIS. A few days ago, we were able to uh, host uh, ladies from these cities, that their homes are in these cities. And they just come from places like this. Looking at their homes, looking at how devastated the situation is, their homes are completely, most of them completely ruined. They're burned. It's really a blessing blessing for us to be able to take those ladies from places like this and have them in a nice area where they enjoy the Lord we gave them good teaching but they said that the joy they have inside of them knowing Christ after the crisis of Isis they just thank the Lord because without them fleeing their cities and moving to another area they were able to hear the Word of God and then accept the Lord Through the Help the Persecuted Ministry, we were able to give them a day retreat for their children. And we were able to bring 100 kids to a big hall, and we were able to share the gospel with them, tell them about the Bible. And each child was provided with a gift Bible just to see the joy that they had. We also, the ministry, provided them with a meal. As a ministry, we just, you know, that's where we try to reach them, that's where we help many individual cases, you know, families with their rent, with their uh, living expenses, we were able, you know, with the funds that we get to help them. I just want to thank you because it really means a lot you know, uh, uh, for them and for us, that you all are able to partner with leading the way, with the ministry of Health, the persecuted, and we are able to do something to the people of Iraq.
1: ISIS, those people are organized to do evil. We should be organized to do good now. Life is coming back, and we should be the pioneers in doing that again.
0: the first to have seen that logo. We just uh, approved it this week, uh, the Help the Persecuted logo. These people, ISIS, were organized to do evil. We should be organized to do good. Some of those people that you saw on the screen, now some of them may have come from a Christian background. Some may have come from a Muslim background, but a lot of them and a lot of them were persecuting evangelical Christians before ISIS came. I had an ethnically Christian Iraqi man who came to a saving faith later after ISIS came. He said, Christians in Iraq were the hardest people you've ever met They were harsh to one another. They were hard on one another and they would rat out evangelicals. And I know that's very complicated for you all to understand that that a Catholic or a Chaldean would actually rat out an evangelical, but that's what was happening. And when ISIS came, it uprooted that soil. It tilled that soil in such a way that many, 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 whether ethnic Christians or Muslims are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. A man who came from... He came from a Christian background. He was a liquor store owner. He had only gone to church for Christmas and Easter. He had no real saving faith in Christ. He was radically saved after ISIS took over his town. And now with tears in his eyes, he says, I thank God for ISIS. He thanks God for ISIS because it was ISIS that led him to Jesus. That may be hard for us to understand, but listen, retaliation is, look, these people treated us poorly. We're not going to do anything for them. We're not going to go back and help them. But we are not to retaliate. We are to win them to Christ using goodness. You see, retaliation on our part as Christian individuals only repays evil for evil. It doubles it. It adds to the first evil and increases the tally of evil. But when we seek to do that which is countercultural, to go the way of the cross, we overcome the cycle of evil for God's glory and man's salvation. That love that saved us. That love is poured into us and it kills hypocrisy and it leads others to repentance. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that we love because you first loved us. We can take no pride in that. Lord, I ask that your love would break the ground of hard-soiled hearts this morning, that we would indeed, Lord, put away the distractions, that we would feast on your love through your word and through participation in the body of Christ. And that, Lord, that love would indeed bring all these uh, attributes into our life, all these behavioral traits into our life, that others would see it and that, Lord, you would use those coals that we heap on the world around us, and that you would lead others to repentance. Father, we thank you for that great love, and we ask that we go forth in it, through it, this day, in Christ's name we pray, amen.